Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello and welcome to the 229th edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Nashville, Tennessee, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And to jump pass over the Harpeth River from me here in the Music City, it's our own offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton. Jump pass, that should be pretty interesting. Um, how you doing, guys? Um, I'd be better if my team was not on to their fourth string quarterback right now. Yeah, the... Uh... COVID-19 has, uh, has wreaked more havoc on, on Wisconsin's quarterback room than any defense in the last 10 years. I'm going to treat this show like Brian Ferentz and be in the room, but not make any contribution at all. I'm not going to say anything the rest of the show. Yeah, well, I was going to say, uh, <laughs> we can't get started without the third amigo in the second city. A man who was glad he didn't, have to, he didn't have to go to West Lafayette last weekend. It's our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook. Look, I'm going to say in all seriousness, uh, before getting to the awfulness of that game, the uh, foliage behind one of the end zones in Ross Aid Stadium looked absolutely stunning last Saturday, and that was the uh, the high point of the game. Yeah, that was the high point in the experience. So uh, we will get into our Big Ten recap here in just a minute. But as you guys know out there, we are brought to you by betonline.ag. The college football season is now officially in full swing with the Big Ten being back. And while you may not be at the game this year, you can still be in on the action at betonline. After this weekend, Ohio State moved up from number three to number two in betonline.ag's uh, best odds to win the Natty up to plus 225. Uh, Clemson, you're finally getting plus odds them on them now as well as plus 185. Uh, as of right now, though, uh, Coach, who who do you like for a little bit more of a long shot to potentially win the title this year outside of you know Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama, and Georgia? Give me them dogs. No, I, I don't know. Um, to be honest with you, I, I think um, this is one of those years where – you just flip a coin, I guess, for for a long shot. I I don't know. Um, I'm truly stumped on that one because anybody I choose, they they have so many holes that I, I don't think they could even crack. But I would love to see BYU get a get a shot at it. I think they're as good as uh, good as anybody right now. Zach Wilson is extremely fun to watch. So if you're asking who I want to be a long shot, I would love BYU to get that shot. But yeah, that's not will. bad. They're at sixty six to one odds plus sixty six hundred. How about you, Josh? I told you I'm Brian Ferentz. I'm just going to sit here and not contribute anything. Sounds about right. Okay, well, <laughs> I'm, then from, I'm doing a bit. <laughs> from game threats to totals, team player, and coaching props, you can even bet on who's going to win the presidential election. Bet online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else online. Plus, there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. Josh, go get your fit of blackjack in because <laughs> it's going to be more in- interesting than watching Iowa football this season. So head on over to betonline.ag today to take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag to sign up today. Bet online. Your online sportsbook experts. Now you're just rubbing it in. Uh, well, I have to do what I can right now, but bef- so I don't have to wallow in my sorrow of uh, of COVID related drama uh, up in Madison. So uh, we are going to kick off our Regeneron. Uh, oh God. Um, uh, COVID. Yeah. <laughs> 
Before we start recording, just to pull the, the curtain back, Matt goes, uh, I'm really exhausted tonight. Can this be a quick show? And uh, two minutes into it, we're already doing Trump impersonations and not talking football. <laughs> it's looking good. <laughs> oh, it, it, it's looking very good. But no, but before Regeneron, though, what was the other drug he was pushing like early on in the pandemic? I can't remember what it, I can't remember what it was now. Hydroxychloroquine. 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 It's, uh, it, it's the main ingredient in my mom's uh, rheumatoid arthritis medicine. Well, has she gotten COVID yet? She has, and she really had like no symptoms. All other right. Than a little, other than a little bit of nausea and some uh, some sore, some achy muscles. But uh, she probably has that anyway. Yeah, she has that anyway. Yeah, so I mean, she, she has a bad sciatica nerve in her hip and. She has a hard time. Well, that'll do it. That'll do it. All right. Well, now that we're completely off track, let's get into our week eight recap, which was week one for the Big Ten. Uh, Things kicked off on Friday night, and they were kicked off with a bang for the Badgers, who had the debut start of Graham Mertz, the highly, highly touted, the, the best quarterback prospect to ever come into the school. And he did not live up to the expectations. He blew them absolutely out of the water. He completed his first 17 throws on the night, finishing 20 of 21 for 248 yards and five touchdowns. The only incompletion was a drop to Garrett Groshek, the tailback. Um, the offense through the air was simply outstanding. Uh, the defense didn't give up any points. The only time Illinois scored was off of a Wisconsin fumble by tight end Jake Ferguson, who more than made up with it with three touchdowns on the night. It was just an absolutely dominant performance by the Badgers from start to finish. Uh, Josh, what stuck out to you in this one? I don't think you can say anything other than what Mertz did, I mean, you, you mentioned the stat line, 20 and 21, 248, five touchdowns, zero interceptions. Um, this was the quite possibly the best debut game I've ever seen. And I, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic. I, I'm, I'm honestly sitting here trying to think of other debut games for first ever career start. And None are coming to mind that I can think of. Um, and I, I don't know, Matt, do you want to talk about the COVID stuff now or, or should we? Yeah, we might we, yeah. we, we might as well get I mean, into it now. You know, after the the, fo- the follow from the game, everyone is riding super high. Obviously, after the game, it's Friday night. You got a long weekend ahead. Are you going to watch some other Big Ten football? Going to be able to relax and just like in the glamour, in the beauty that was that that night i mean it and it wasn't just graham mertz i mean true freshman outside linebacker nick herbig was awesome he started for the badgers at outside linebacker and he, you know he had a sack you know i think another tackle and a half for loss he was you know fantastic the offensive line protected mertz really well the ground game didn't really get going until the second half but I, you know, all things considered, couldn't have gone much better. And then you start hearing rumors on Sunday. Oh, you know, Mertz may have tested positive, but the chance it's a false positive. Uh, then it comes out, no, he actually did test positive, and his backup, Chase Wolf, has also tested positive. And now the only reason Mertz was starting is because the original starter, Jack Cohn, was uh, injured during fall camp and is out indefinitely with an ankle injury. So they are now down. Two, their fourth string walk-on quarterback, Danny Vandenboom, 
it's hashtag boom season <laughs> now. Um, you know, boom goes to boom goes to dynamite. Here comes the boom. All sorts of great hashtags are flying around Badger's Twitter right now. But it's going to be interesting out in Lincoln this weekend because, you know, uh, I mean, Danny Vandenboom, to be fair, you know, he turned down uh, a bunch of mid-major offers to walk on at Wisconsin. So it's not he's not, you know, a complete scrub out there. But he ain't Graham Mertz. He definitely ain't Graham Mertz. And he ain't Chase Wolf either. Chase Wolf is a good athlete. Um, Danny no, Vanden- but, but here's the thing for let's all be, let's be serious for the silver lining of this. Matt, you said the, the running game took a little bit to get going. The final stats were still really impressive. 54 rushes, 182 yards. Groshek leading the way with 70 yards on. But it's not even carries. four yards a carry. Like, you I know. know, but I mean, it's nothing to scoff at. Three yards in cloud of dust has won plenty of football games. In history. In the Big um, Ten, yeah. Yeah. You know, Wisconsin will rely on that offensive line, rely on the running game. The defense looked absolutely phenomenal. Um, they're going to, you know, use physicality to try and overpower Nebraska. If you look at their schedule, um, he's out for the next three weeks. You know, 21 days, that's the thing. At Nebraska, that's mm-hmm. certainly winnable. Yes. Purdue, extremely winnable. Yes. At Michigan, albeit a challenge. Yes. But after that, let's say he comes back. Um, let's say it's best case scenario. He is asymptomatic for all 21 days, is not stung by this thing in any way, doesn't have any lasting uh, health impacts. I mean, we've seen a few players in the NFL, for instance, one player for the Jags is going to sit out the rest of the season. Cam Newton hasn't looked the same since he got sick, but... Let's say it's the best case scenario. Well, you have a Mac then for four games, um, all of them winnable, but also all of them, well, two of them, I should say, Minnesota and Iowa, against teams that appeared to be the best competition in the West. So it's still totally doable to win the division. Um, It's better to happen now than at the end of the season. Oh, absolutely. And so, I mean... I don't know, unless you were thinking that Mertz was going to be Trevor Lawrence 2.0 and that Wisconsin was going to be a playoff team, other than potentially upsetting some very delusional fans' national title aspirations, um, I don't think much has changed about the algebra for Wisconsin's football season. Well, and Coach, you know, when, when we were texting about this earlier, you asked me one question. Is Jim Leonard still coaching the defense? And the answer is yes. And then I said, you will be fine. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I, I don't know if you know anything about Jim Leonard. He's he's pretty good. He's pretty good at coordinating defenses. I mean, they're, you know, I, I think, honestly, you know, Nebraska's going to have a hard time moving the ball on you. You know, I, I think if uh, Nebraska can't score, guess what? They can't win. Um, and I think Wisconsin will figure some things out. I mean, Paul Crystal will dig deep into the into the well and find find a way to make this offense work and not put too much on the shoulders of of the boom era. And uh, so we'll, we'll we'll see kind of what they got in the bag and how creative they can be and how much uh, Rhino and Hippo and uh, Triple Stack Eye and um, all that stuff. How much of that they will do and how much of the running game they'll lean on and barge try to formation to yeah barge formation what whatever the case may be, try to grind that game down to a nub and then, you know, just buy time until someone 
can get healthy. Maybe Jack Cohn can get healthy. And then when Mertz comes back, Mertz is, Mertz is obviously the guy. Yeah, Mertz is definitely the guy. So, well, let's move on from that. And uh, in my joy on Friday night was uh, mirrored by Josh's pain on Saturday, uh, on Saturday afternoon, because it was not a good one up there in West Lafayette. Josh, you are Iowa Hawkeyes. Uh, to put it lightly, they shit the bed. Oh yeah, there's no way around it. So, uh, look, I'm going to tell you what. You're going to see a lot of Iowa fans say they're going to go, well, we were sloppy. We had 10 penalties for 100 yards. There was a ticky tack face mask at the end of the game that extended Purdue's drive um, that it, it, you know, it looked like it would have been the old five yard variety. It was a longer down and distance than five yards. So, yeah, you can maybe say that one stung. Obviously, a ton of people are going to say the two turnovers, including the second fumble lost by um, the second fumble lost by the team. Uh, his first of the day, Makai Sargent lost one as Iowa was driving late, uh, easily going to add points on that drive at the very least a field goal that should have iced the game. And yeah, that's all well and good. That's fine. You, you can make a compelling argument for that, but that is. A smoke and mirrors argument, because here's the real issue. The real issue was the offense produced three points in the second half. That is awful. They were four of 13 on third down. That's dreadful. Uh, The first drive of the game, well, the first several drives of the game, you know, you've spent all offseason creating your script. Coach, you're an offensive coordinator. Uh, How much do you like your script when you're first two drives go six plays negative three yards and two punts i'm tossing that script right on out yeah i will probably use the exact same six plays next week uh time management biting this team yet again here at the end of the first half they have a timeout left what do they do well it's first and 10 they complete a pass for a first down they run up there And what do they do? The clock is running. They've got a timeout. They've got a timeout. There's 19 seconds left. What do they do? They run the ball for no gain and take a timeout. They didn't even get a shot off into the end zone. Settle for a field goal. That's awful coaching. Is that Ference older or Ference the younger? Who knows? Probably on the head coach because that's a time management issue. That's dreadful. You can't do that. I mean, the offensive game plan was absolutely an abomination. Uh, The defense did not play particularly well, but they did a very classic bend but not break. They got some nice timely takeaways, uh, one down in the red zone um, that saved a touchdown. But the offense, you're not going to win many games in modern-day football scoring 20 points. And uh, stealing a comment from an Iowa message board, I, I wish I knew, the username or, or the real person's name to give them proper credit for it. But they were pointing out that even the godfather of defense, even the biggest hard-hitting defensive coach to really walk the walk uh, the last several years, the last 20 years really, let's be honest, Nick Saban, what's he done the last few years? Basically shrug his shoulders and say, yeah, you got to score points. Kirk Ferentz is the only one dying on this hill of rejecting offense competency it's dreadful uh and then you know specifically with the players look i you know the two fumbles i already talked about them they didn't come at a good time 
That's fair. That's football. It happens. Turnovers suck. Like I said, we had a takeaway in the red zone when Purdue should have gotten seven points there. But, uh, you know, the the coaching of the quarterback, after you see enough quarterbacks do it in a row and enough years of doing it, you're probably going to say it's a coaching issue, not a personnel issue. But uh, new quarterback Spencer Petras basically has the exact same problem that plagued Iowa with Nate Stanley, and that is a cannon of an arm, zero downfield accuracy. Any pass over 20 yards, forget about it. I was not going to complete a high percentage of them. That's awful. So why are you calling that many plays with deep passes? On top of that, schematically, you're not even using your best players to stretch the field. If he's got a cannon of an arm, why don't you have your fastest wide receiver run the deepest routes? Well, that's Amir Smith-Marset. He was the MVP of the bowl last year. Let's see. What were his stats? Mm, well, he got a couple rushes. He had two rushes for 18 yards. Uh, did I mention he's a wide receiver? Uh, receiving. ESPN doesn't show me the targets, so I can't see the targets. But uh, I can tell you this. He had one reception for one yard. So he touched the ball three times on offense and had a kick return. So our best offensive threat touched the ball four times all game. That's on the coaches. So for Iowa fans saying, well, the penalties and the turnovers, get out of here with this. It's 100% on the coaching. Egregious. Yeah, it wasn't pretty. And I was wow. surprised when I went back to look at that box score that Smith Marset had not touched the ball more because as an opposing fan, he's the guy I'm scared of most. And I don't know. I don't know about you, coach. You're an offensive coordinator. Well, he, just he, real quick, just real quick before, real quick before I still coaches thunder. Uh, so Purdue played out without Rondell Mar. So their second best player is David Bell, their receiver. Let's see. David Bell. What did he do? What did he do? Oh, uh, he had 13 receptions for 121 yards and three touchdowns. You get your playmakers the ball. Iowa has the inability to get their playmakers the ball because the coaching and the schematics is egregious. It's incompetent. There's no other way to say it. Yeah, Thanks. coach, what I was going to coach what I was going to say is you're an offensive coordinator. Uh your job is to get the ball in the hands of your best players, I assume. Yeah, that's the thought. Um you know, you, you certainly don't want to avoid them and <laughs> just to uh you know, just to I guess fit your philosophy like I don't know. Like, I guess Brian Ferentz still wants to prove that the I formation is relevant and uh, doesn't care about, you know, just, I don't know, just doesn't care about points, I guess. Um, just watching this Iowa offense, it seems just very disjointed. It just seems very like we're just going to play field position and, and play defense when that's not going to, that's not going to go. I mean, you have a, you have a big, uh, big tailback over there across the field, Xander Horvath. Who ran? He had 20, 21 carries, one hundred twenty nine yards. Uh, just a just a force for Purdue. Why was he able to do that on twenty one carries? Because they opened up the offense. They they spread Iowa horizontally. They they had you know they had David Bell stretching vertically. They had David Bell with thirteen catches. Uh, they I mean they spread the ball around. They spread the defense out, and they 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 made things happen. 
And that's what happens when, when you know, you open up your run game and then your pass game is open up and then your run game's open back up. And, you know, it, it all kind of works. It's called complimentary football. And There's one can, last question I had for you, Coach, about okay. this game. Go for it. Um, how challenging a play is a running back screen to get the timing down and, and get all set up? It depends on what is it just like an off tackle screen yeah it's nothing too special it's just a wide receiver or a running back screen nothing I mean, it, it's something you work on for a five ten minute period every day um it's something you, you try to build into your team script every day um so that you can work the timing of it that there's actually a good bit of timing because you have to like the, the back has to kind of get lost in there like he's pass protecting and then you know he has to when the tackle releases, he kind of releases and sits in behind them and finds a window and all that stuff. So, so there's a fair amount of timing. It's mm-hmm. a fairly intricate play as well. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's, it's a pretty decent investment yeah. as far as time. Um, goes. Would you do it uh, on the final drive of the game on a third and ten when you haven't called a screen pass all game? Probably not. I probably <laughs> would have done it earlier in the game. Oh, because that's when Brian Ferentz pulled it out of his hat. And as my dad texted me, he's like, well, if it had worked, it would have been a touchdown. Well, yeah. and I was like, well, the problem is it's not the easiest play in the world to set up. No, you have to. Because what what's going to ha- like the, the whole point of running a screen is when a defense is in a heavy blitz mode. And if a defense is in heavy blitz mode. That's when it, you know, that's when you can really hurt them, really gash them. But when it's like late in the game and you're driving and, and the defense is really just playing bend, don't break, and, and, and try to keep everything in front, they're dropping guys out. So screens aren't really going to work in those scenarios, especially on third and long in a, in, a, in a situation where they really need it and they can't punt. So they really, you know, you can really sit back and, and, and play up on the ball. And so. Yeah. Well, we didn't even get to see if it would generate any yards because it was an incomplete pass. <laughs> yeah, because they were probably sitting all over it. They were probably sitting on it. <laughs> um, they, they probably, they probably, they probably soft rushed uh, Petrus, and then they just, they just you, sat on the screen. You know what I think Brian's play calling reminds me of? Reminds me of uh, the first few times you play the old NCAA game and you're just scrolling through the playbook and you're going, Oh, that one looks kind of interesting. Okay. I'll, yeah, I'll try this one. There's really no rhyme or reason for it because yeah. in the computer game, you're not setting up the defense in any way. No, you're, you're just, you're just throwing proverbial crap against yeah. the wall and hoping something sticks to cleanse, uh, to cleanse everyone's palate. Can I tell you the smartest thing I saw all weekend on the football field? Do it. The end of the Arizona Cardinal game. Did you guys see this? As uh, yeah. as the cards are driving um, to save on time management, when a player would get tackled, Larry Fitzgerald would run over, grab the ball from his teammate, and sprint to the middle of the field and give it to the ref. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he there's a reason he's still in the league after like I know. what? Gosh, like he's in like his 18th, 17th season, 18th season. Yeah, something like that. Down, I, I think. Yeah, I've never seen it. I've never seen a player do that, and I was just like, that's the. Most intelligent thing I've ever seen anyone do. Yeah. <laughs> well, at least uh, that's how I felt after a weekend of watching Iowa football. Well, let's turn to something more fun. Penn State, Indiana. Yeah. That was that was interesting because if you look at the if you look at the box score, you look at the stats, you're like, how 
on earth did indiana win this one penn state outgained them more than two to one penn state had uh 488 total yards to indiana's 211 only had one more turnover they more than doubled them up in time of possession uh yet somehow some way uh tom allen keeps coming up with funky ass shit nearly every single day (laughs) in this case because indiana on the back of uh michael Penix jr uh were able to pull off the miracle in overtime uh coach did they make the right call what what did did Penix make that two-point conversion yeah they made the right call absolutely i mean it was like by a blade of grass but they they made the right call josh do you agree yeah I, i think you know when they did the frame by frame, it, it looked simultaneous to me. And maybe it's just because I'm watching the World Series in the background. But isn't there something about like the tie goes to the runner? You kind of mm-hmm. w- when a cornerback and a wide receiver tie, they give the ball to their offense. Like the the point of the game is to give the benefit of the doubt to the offensive team. Yeah. I, and yeah, I mean, you have I to go with the call on the field. Call. And the call on the field in that case uh-huh. was that he crossed the plane. Matt, I'll tell you how you can, you know, maximize your yards when you're outgained that much. I love this one. The Penn State, three plays, zero yards, interception. That sets up Indiana for a the old classic uh, two-play, four-yard drive. <laughs> huh. I mean, you got, you got to take advantage of yeah, what the it. opponent gives you. Yeah, that's, that's uh, uh, another. you got to love the old, the, the really long four-yard drive. Yeah, another fun stat from this game. Um, Michael Penix, uh, rushing stats, the old four carries negative 18 yards, one touchdown. That's almost <laughs> as good as I remember there, there was a game in the, in the NFL where Jerome Bettis had five carries for one yard and three touchdowns. There you go. Yeah. But awesome. Yeah. I mean, uh, look, we thought Indiana, had a really nice team on paper. We thought that they could compete. We thought they could hang in games. I think all of us thought that they were going to make another bull this year. They're a well-coached team, and their talent's getting better. They're Like I said when we previewed the Big Ten, their starters are you know, filled in by three-star kids, uh, the occasional four-star they're, they're nabbing now. So their starters are getting a lot better than they had been in the past. Our concern with Indiana as they continue to slowly build the program up is if they do have any injuries, the people behind the starters, it's not the same as Ohio state who goes five-star, five-star, four-star on their death chart. Um, What this game tells me about Penn state that's alarming is the sloppiness of their team. And is this going to be um, what plagues Penn state all year? Matt, you mentioned their turnovers. They had three of them. They also were in the 10 penalty 100 yard club, mm-hmm. just like Iowa. On top of that, we get to some of their special teams. Uh, rough day for the old kicking stats as a team, 0 for 3 on field goals. Can't do that. So, you know, that's nine points left on the floor, left on the field in a tight game. And then you hate to say it, but like, the mental lapses. If you take a knee on that last run, you then kneel the ball down. There's a reason why Indiana was trying to let you score. 
the old yeah, I mean, Madden they, track. Yeah, they did the old. I mean, they parted the Red Sea for him. Yeah, yeah. Todd Gurley didn't take the uh, didn't take yeah. the cheese. Yeah, and in, in you know, Franklin, Franklin was like, "Well, we practiced that in practice." And it's like, um, you know, practice isn't the same as the game. What was communicated in that moment in the game? We don't know. So, um, obviously, Penn State has a pretty tough road ahead. Their next game is Ohio State. If they are this sloppy again next week, forget about it. They're going to lose by three or four touchdowns. Yeah, definitely. All right, well, let's head over um, to the Little Brown Jug, where, you know, a game I thought was actually going to be a a close contest. Michigan absolutely ran away with this one, 49 to 24. Uh, You know, for Minnesota, not a whole lot to write home about. Uh, Tanner Morgan did not have a vintage Tanner Morgan game. Only 18 to 31 for 197 yards, a touchdown and a pick, plus a fumble. Um, And Michigan's offense coach, uh, they've got a a new coordinator over there and they are looking they're they're looking pretty dynamic. They really are. Um, Finally, finally, uh, Michigan entered the 20th century, uh, 21st (laughs) century. They they entered the 20th century for the first time last year where they were running. they they got shotgun a little bit now, um, but in all seriousness, I, I think uh, Milton is going to be it, Milton's going to be somebody exciting to watch uh, at quarterback. I think uh, Haskins six carries, eighty two yards, and two touchdowns. Um, you know Joe Milton uh, again, just just the just the duo and the tandem of that Hassan Haskins uh, as well at the running well, back and spot. And Zach Charbonnet too. Like Charbonnet yeah. only had yeah. four carries, but he had seventy yards and a touchdown. I yeah, mean, I mean. They to be fair, are, he had a 70-yarder, and then his other three ca- carries all meant to, to zero, but still. Yeah, the Wolverines The Wolverines uh, are an explosive offense, and, and they had a lot of, like, you know, 15 to 22, six carries for 82 yards, four carries for uh, 75 yards, you know, four receptions, 74 yards. They were hitting a lot of big chunk plays, and that's backbreaking uh, against the defense, you know, and, and against a team that's looking to get uh, a lot of momentum. And, and when you're at, when you're on the road, it's even more of a killer for the home team because you had to travel and, you know, crowd, no crowd, whatever the case may be, it doesn't matter. You know, if there was a crowd, they they would have been out of it anyway. But, you know, that that's just, you know, that's the that's the key to having, you know, a good momentum-building offense is chunk plays, explosive plays. And then just, you know, next thing you know, you're in the end zone. And next thing you know, you, you, you pour on the – Pour on the points. I mean, they they got off to a great start, scoring twenty one in the first quarter. Then they scored fourteen in the second quarter. I mean, they had a they had a. I mean, you want to talk about starting strong? They started strong, and then they they kept it up in the second half. And and you know, defense was stingy for for the most part. Uh, defense got really stingy at the, when it when it mattered most. So you know, this is the best I've seen Michigan look. So if you want to say dark horse? You know, I might throw their name in the hat. You know, I, I said I would love to see BYU get a shot, but. You know, I, I think Michigan. Somebody, you know, the more I think about it, and the more I kind of evaluate what Joe Milton brings to the table, what Hassan Haskins, uh, you know, those guys, uh, I think it's, you know, they're going to be they're going to be hell to stop. And I think it's uh, they're exci- They're going to be exciting to watch. And uh, this will be great for uh, this will be great uh, tape to put on uh, display for uh, for Josh Gaddis. 
Yeah, I think from Minnesota's perspective, though, they have to feel like it looks bad. 25 points looks bad, but there's a few things that went into this that can be cleaned up. First of all, they had a fumble returned for a touchdown. So, you you know, we preach ball security, but that is the absolute worst, worst, worst case scenario. Yeah. Um, so you, you sort of figure, OK, we gifted Michigan seven of those points. If we don't do that, okay, that brings it to 49-24. Later in the uh, second quarter, Minnesota has a very curious uh, fourth and four from their own 31, and they lost two yards on it. Why are you going that hyper-aggressive? Yeah, it's 28-17, but the game's not over at that point. Why are you doing that? They, well, I think, they I mean, give. I think, I think Michigan is, you know, they're they're worried that they're not going to be able to stop the Wolverine offense. That's exactly what that is. So you you, you kind of get that. That's what you know. That's one of the mindsets that having explosive plays and chunk plays does uh, to to an opposing coach. You're sitting over there thinking, oh, thank God, we we haven't been able to stop them. God, if if we don't get this and we don't score and we don't, you know, we're not going to be able to keep up with them. This thing's going to get out of hand quick. But I mean, you're also playing into it because you're giving Michigan a 29 yard drive and that ended in seven points. I I, I get that, but that's how that's how it causes it to to go from rational to irrational. Like, yeah, you start panicking, but that's that's what it does. You know, you figure you play that more conservatively. Maybe your defense stops them. That brings Michigan's point total from hypothetically 42 down to hypothetically 35. And then later in the game, when it's 42-24, uh, you know, Minnesota goes for it on fourth and goal. They have a nice drive that ends in no points. Well, you know, yeah, 42-27, not a huge difference. Um, but if you, like I said, change that stuff in the first half, maybe the game's not out of hand. Maybe you're not chasing points at that point, And maybe having a turnover on downs in the red zone isn't as big a deal. But I think, you know, I don't think Minnesota is as bad as the 25-point indicate. I think Minnesota is still a pretty quality team in the West. Um, you know, <laughs> their offense produced more points than Iowa's against a way better defense. So it, I'm not ready to, to write off this ship for the, uh, the row the boat squad. Oh, no, no, not at all. Uh, you know, th- that's not... I think this was more of Michigan just kind of taking this game from them. I mean, there's some bright spots for, you know, for Minnesota. You know, you have Rashad Bateman still had nine catches for for over 100 yards or right at 100 yards. You you still had uh, Ibrahim, uh, 26 carries, 140, and he scored twice. So He's a I great mean, back. Yeah, yeah he's really there, good. There's some bright spots for Minnesota. And, you know, you know, just like Iowa, just like. You know, just like Penn State, you know, things are, they're going to clean some things up and they'll be fine. Penn State, you know, Penn State can move the ball. They do a lot of great things offensively. You know, Sean Clifford was still 24-35, which is a pretty good percentage. He still had three touchdowns. Uh, you know, Josh Dotson had four catches for 94 and a touchdown for Penn State. They'll clean stuff up just like Minnesota will. I mean, they can move the ball, but they just, you know, Michigan just, kicked it up to another gear and and Minnesota just just wasn't ready for it. And I think Minnesota hit the panic button some uh, probably a little too soon, to be honest with you. Well, I know we're not uh, writing off Minnesota, but I think one team we can write off, Josh, Michigan State. 
because they <laughs> didn't just lose on opening weekend. They lost to Rutgers at home. And honestly, like Rutgers was clearly the better team. Clearly the better team. And if you are a fan of Sparty, you cannot be feeling too good about yourself here come the new week. Absolutely yeah, I mean, uh, look, seven po- seven turnovers. Hmm. Is that going to happen again for Probably Rutgers? Not. Probably not. Is Michigan State going to have seven giveaways again? Probably not. The problem is, though, that the picks, two of them, they, they only threw two picks, but the two picks were pretty bad. One was just a straight up, he threw it to no one, and he either was throwing an out pattern on a play that the wide receiver ran the correct route on, or the wide receiver ran the incorrect route. That gets to dysfunction of some kind. I know there's a new coaching staff, but you know, just how are you not more in sync on something as simple as what's the play call? So that was concerning. Uh, the offensive line, one of the biggest reasons Michigan State has taken a step back pass towards the end of the horrendous. D'Antonio era. Yeah, their, their pass protection hasn't been as good the last I few did, years. Hey, Josh, but, I just watched that play. There was yeah. not a soul. Yeah. He was running a go and he threw it out. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so as I was saying, one of the reasons the D'Antonio era was crumbling is the offensive line has been really bad and the rushing – has been a nightmare the last few years for Michigan State. Nothing's changed on that. 50 rushing yards on 39 carries, and then you flip over and look at Rutgers' defensive stats. They had three sacks, 12 tackles for loss, and a quarterback hurry. Uh, Rutgers' defense really uh, played hungry, and I know Michigan State ended up with 27 points, but we're talking about has Rutgers demonstrated any growth? And the simple answer is yes. Their defense played much more athletic, much with much more speed. The offense looked much more competent. Uh, they have Noah Vedral, their quarterback, didn't do too much with uh, his passing game, but he showed some nice chops running the ball. And... I think what you saw him do most of all, yes, he had one pick, but Rutgers had basically been having quarterbacks have like stat lines of like 0 for 4 with three interceptions. And like he didn't destroy them. I don't want to call him a game manager because that's kind of an insult. Um, I, I think he actually turned in a performance, quite honestly, that you can grow from. Um, we also saw Rutgers implement some grad transfers in a really positive way and their energy you know greg shiano does it again you know you want to say that the chop the wood stuff is is dumb you want to say that he's a terrible person because i mean let's be honest he's done some shady stuff (laughs) in his in his coaching days um he might not be the first person i would invite over to dinner but he knows how to maximize the talent he's got. And, you know, I'm not going to go off the deep end and say that, oh, Rucker, Rutgers is a threat now to make a bowl game. 
it, there's a very real possibility in two weeks when they play Ohio State, they lose 73 to 7. It's a very real possibility for that. But they're buying in already. And if you just want to go new coach versus new coaches, which is what this game is, you saw which staff was more prepared, which staff knew what they had better, and which staff is in a better position to have a turnaround. Michigan State was a dumpster fire. Yeah, they were absolutely a dumpster fire. And you've got to be wondering, you know, uh, if if you're on if you're on that staff at Michigan State, like what have I gotten myself into at this point? I've gotten myself into I'm going to I'm going to sneak into a career building class at, at on campus and polish <laughs> my resume for next year and uh, somewhere else. But, um, you know. What stands out to me in this game is, you know, Rutgers scored 38 points. I, I think at times last year, I don't think they could score 38 points at practice on air. <laughs> so, you know, for for that reason alone, I would say they've improved. Now, you know, I'm, I'm gonna go with Josh. I don't, I, I don't think they're gonna necessarily be a threat to the Big Ten, whatever division they're in, and you know, they're you know they're gonna be the next dark horse contenders, and they're gonna be in some you know, mid-level bowl game and they're going to turn around instantly. But the things you can't discount, those guys are playing hard. They're playing fundamentally sound finally. They've got somewhat of a run game and they've got a lot of stuff they can build on. Are they going to be great? Probably not. But are they going to be the same Rutgers that we make fun of all the time? Definitely not. You know, the flip side for Michigan State, is it as bad as it was? Probably not. Are they going to get better? You would hope so. Um, are they going to be anywhere close to a bowl game this year? Probably no. not. Definitely um, not. And and so I, I think when things kind of equalize and the dust kind of settles, I think you'll see programs that are in similar positions standing-wise, record-wise. But I think you're going to see the brand of football that Rutgers is going to bring uh, versus what Michigan State's going to bring uh, is going to be totally different. I think one arrow is pointing up. One arrow is uh, – well, I don't know if it can point down because – I don't know if there is down, but it's pointing sideways. It's 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 not pointing up, that's for sure. And and so I, I think, you know, Rutgers, uh, Greg Schiano, that might be the only place he can coach. That uh, might so be far, the, so far, it has uh, played out that way. Okay, so let, good good for them. Yeah. So let let's hop up quickly to the last two Big Ten games. We had two blowouts. Nebraska kept it interesting with Ohio State for about a quarter and a half, and then the Buckeyes just absolutely pulled away. Justin Fields' stat line matched Graham Mertz in terms of completions and attempts, 20 of 21, yeah, 276 out. yards. Uh, he had two touchdowns in the air, added another one with his legs. Uh, Ohio State's was just, talent was just completely overwhelming in this one, Josh. I mean, they had 200-yard receivers. It, didn't, it felt like it didn't matter who they gave the ball to. They were going to be able to tote the rock. Um, and the defense was just overwhelming adrian martinez you know he completed 12 of 15 passes but for only 105 yards you know that's not really uh, all that great when it comes to you know yards per attempt yeah i mean we knew ohio state was gonna win this game it's gonna take something goofy happening it's gonna take like a seven turnover type game for nebraska to pull it off um the the talent gap as you mentioned matt just too great the concerning thing though is this is Scott Frost's third year. Mm-hmm. You don't really expect a 35-point beatdown 
in your third year. You know, if this game is, I don't know, let's say 42-28, the feeling all this week in Lincoln is completely different. And you're thinking, okay, we lost by two touchdowns to the best team in the conference in our opener. I don't know what we have from Nebraska. People were saying this was a new Nebraska team. This was a year that they were going to compete with Wisconsin. I saw tons of buzz about the black shirts and the defense being back. And and for a quarter uh, and a half, uh, you were start, uh, I was starting to believe it. Yeah. Um, so then I, then I didn't. You know, you talk about you talk about needing to make an impression. Okay, well, the Wisconsin game that complexion has com- changed completely. We're probably not going to know too much with Wisconsin's fourth string quarterback. So even if Nebraska wins that game, I, I'm not entirely sure what that means. Northwestern, we're about to talk about. They're kind of an unknown entity right now. If Nebraska, the next game I want to see them is what are they like against Penn State on the 14th? Because I think that's going to be their first real. Like, what exactly are they? And there's a real chance. I mean, who knows? Maybe they're going into that Penn State game 0-3. And we already will know what they are. But I just, it's unfathomable to me for all the hype that Scott Frost has that you're losing in your third season by 35 points. Yeah, especially because, you know, when he was hired there, Coach, we all thought that was, you know, a home run. Yeah, it was. Um, I, I thought it was. Uh, I, I could be the first to tell you. Um, it just hasn't materialized because I. I, don't I was skeptical. He, full I, full I, disclosure. I, I well, yeah. You're. I mean, you're skeptical you're, about everything. To be fair. Yeah. You know. <laughs> True. Um, I don't think either him nor I realize just how difficult it is to recruit to Nebraska in this day and age when everybody's on national television. Um, you have all these southern states plucking, uh, plucking Texas, Georgia, Alabama, Florida, Ohio, uh, Wisconsin, Illinois, Kentucky. You know, your home state is awful. Yeah. Okay, the states directly surrounding you are awful. Well, Oklahoma's decent as far as high school talent, but for the most part, I mean, you're, you're Oklahoma ain't de- surrounding them though. I mean, you got to get through Kansas before you get to Oklahoma. Yeah, I know, but I'm saying just in the vicinity. I mean, like Colorado is the best state around them when it comes to talent at this point. Yeah, they are. Um, you know, I, and I there there if... is more talent coming out of Colorado these days. To be fair, but like you said, Coach, these other national programs are nabbing talent out of Colorado as well. I mean, I mean, Wisconsin... Colorado's doing well in Colorado. And Utah's he... doing well in Colorado. BYU's yeah. doing well in Colorado. You know, these Pac-12 teams are coming into in, into Denver and Aspen and Boulder and you know. Wherever all these pockets are in Fort in Collins, state, Fort Collins, um, Colorado, Colorado Springs, yeah, yeah, you get the picture. Um, you know they're coming in and and nabbing these kids. You know, Pac-12 schools are raiding the the Pac-12 footprint of Arizona, California, Washington, Colorado, uh, Utah. We're really just Salt Lake City, um, and then uh, Bishop Gorman, and Nebraska is just sitting there like, what do we do? You know, they're competing with Big Ten schools, and there's a lot of rich tradition at these Big Ten schools, and a lot of, you know, Big Ten are recruiting the Big Ten footprint. So, can Nebraska I really yeah. just honestly, Nebraska should really just go back to the Big 12, and, and I think that they could have a little bit more relevance in Please. that footprint that they're in. Take them. 
And can I just say something, you know, too, like I totally agree that recruiting is going to be a nightmare at Nebraska, but at some point you, you got to start wondering about actually Scott Frost, you know, let's talk about Nebraska's two closest neighbors, um, Iowa and Minnesota. Let's rewind the clock to Kirk Ferentz's third season. Well, they won a bowl game. Their five losses, none of them were by 35 points. They were by nine, three, six, six, maybe, and maybe three. Scott Frost is the, a little bit overrated. And, and the following year, Kirk Ferentz wins his first Big Ten and we're in the Orange Bowl. Um, let's talk about their other neighbor, P.J. Flack, Minnesota. You know, you talk about a rebuild job there. Um, they, in their third season, well, that was P.J. Flex last year. That was last year. They won 11 games. They beat Auburn in a bowl game, and their two losses were by four points, and yeah, was, Wisconsin got them, but it was by 21, not 35. So at some also, point, you, you got to start th- wondering one what in thing, the... Yeah. One other thing, Josh, the, the, they, they like to compare themselves to Wisconsin. Huh. Paul Paul Chris third season. Do you know what do you know what happened there? Uh, I'm Russell assuming. Wilson? Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. Paul, Paul Chris Paul Chris was the OC when Russell Wilson. Said, yeah. No. Paul uh, I, I'm going to say I'm assuming they were in the Big Ten title game and not losing any games by 35 points. They were nine and zero in conference, went into the Big Ten title game at uh, 12 and zero, lost to Ohio State, and won the Orange Bowl over Miami with the infamous turnover chain, my bleeping ass game. <laughs> what was the score of the Big Ten title game? Uh, the score of the Big Ten title game that season was, I will pull it up. Hopefully it's not the 70-point game. <laughs> no, it's not. No, no, no. That, that, no, that was in the uh, Gary Anderson era. That was in, that, that was in the Gary Anderson era. Uh, that makes sense. Because um, the, uh, they lost that game 27-21. to 21. Ooh, yeah. Hmm. All right, let's, let's talk about the 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 eye opener the game that i was not expecting to have happened the way it happened this was as big a surprise as the penn state game quite honestly uh the biggest surprise to me in this game was that peyton ramsey is now playing quarterback for northwestern well hey you know grad transfer baby <laughs> um he yeah. was nice at indiana he was you Yo, know he was good at indiana yeah. that's why it surprised me that he was playing for northwestern but no yeah. uh, he was much better than the transfer on the other side of the ball talia tagavailoa uh, little t- little tog, little uh, tags, little, little little tags. Not quite. Uh, not not quite as big, bro. Because he threw uh, three picks and yet in less than a hundred yards and twenty five attempts. It's Maryland, and yeah, and it's um, Loxley. I mean, <laughs> what, what are we? Yeah, are we expecting I mean, well, here? okay, uh, the yes, proof is that, in the pudding at this point. Yes, and that's Northwestern why... rushed for three hundred and twenty five yards. Okay, well, so that's the thing. Like Northwestern, you, you can they be like, okay, five. They had five hundred and fifty yards of total offense. So that's what the naysayers are going to say. They're going to say, look, you know, it's Northwestern. They're playing a terrible Maryland team. Here's the thing, no, though. That's this, ridiculous. This is why, but this is why it's so impressive. Fitzgerald blew up the offensive side of his staff after last season. Last season was a joke. They won three games, and they're. Two of their wins were UNLV and UMass. So they won just one game against Power 5 team. They went 1-8 and eight in the Big Ten. Here were their Big Ten point totals. 10, 15, 
10, 3, Squadoosh, 3, 22, 22, and 29. Their offense was atrocious a season ago. Fitzgerald did what needed to be done. He brought in new coaches, overhauled the thing. Yeah, got a good grad transfer in Peyton Ramsey. That certainly helped. But, you know, this team last year, we're like, well, the the defense has some nice pieces. It's a shame their offense is terrible. If their offense is half as good as this the rest of the year, combined with some of the players they have on defense, you know, coach mentioned a dark horse for Michigan. Coach mentioned Michigan had entered the 20th century or the 21st century, whatever he said. Northwestern, you know, let's see what they do against Iowa in a week. That's that's going to be a little scary as a Hawkeye fan. If Guys, if this I, is what Northwestern can do, or at least replicate some of it, it's going to be scary. Well, the second part of what I was trying to say was <laughs> in that Maryland is an awful team. Yes, we get that. But Northwestern did what they were supposed to. They racked up 500-something yeah. yards. Uh, they, I mean, they they just obliterated them. Uh, pass protection was great. I mean, there's some trends that you see uh, with Northwestern that I think would carry over into other games as far as being productive. Patrick Ramsey, Peyton Ramsey, whatever the hell his name is, um, <laughs> he is he's a special dude. I mean, he is he's a gamer, man. He's 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 a competitor. He's going to find those passing windows. He's going to make plays. He's gonna. I mean, he's going to move the ball down the field. I mean, he is. I, I just watched him throw a dime. Uh, after getting hit in the, while getting hit in the chest, and uh, you know, I, I, I'm excited to see what this Northwestern ke- team can do. I hope it sustains just for their sake, um, and and I think that would make for a very competitive Big Ten. Um, but um, you know, it, it's always good or bad. Pump the brakes after week one, um, except for Ohio State. We know what they got, um, <laughs> so we'll, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see what they have. We'll see what Northwestern can bring to the table week in and week out. See if they can do it in a in a in an eight game Big Ten uh, Big Ten only stretch. So, uh, but they they were impressive against Maryland. Like I said, they did what they were supposed to do, uh, and they caused turnovers. They wreaked havoc on defense. Offensively, they moved the ball, got himself in the scoring position, and and did what they had to do to put points up on the board. And and the defense did what they have to do to suffocate. And so. It was a very impressive game, very surprising game, just given what we know about Northwestern. And, you know, they've got a bright future. Is that a dark horse? Eh, I'm going to pump the brakes on that for now. Uh, but I'm, hey, I'm going to keep if, an eye if on they're leading, If the leading contenders for the, the Big Ten West coming into the season was Wisconsin, we've already highlighted their quarterback COVID concern. Mm-hmm. Iowa, we just highlighted their incompetence against Purdue. Yeah. Nebraska, we just highlighted their incompetence against Ohio State. So by default, Minnesota, 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 Minnesota will be the the top contender uh, with Wisconsin. I mean, if if Wisconsin doesn't figure out this, if if they can't navigate themselves through this COVID crisis, they may be out of it. Uh, And it may be a a Minnesota Northwestern division. Um, And that's just terrible, terrible luck. You know, the Big Ten said that they would just count games as no contest and not hurt the overall schedule. Maybe Paul Chris should just deliberately infect the rest of the team and tell the Big Ten, hey, we, we can't go the next three weeks. Yeah, but they have to have a little they have to have a certain number of games played to be eligible for the Big Ten title. And with the 21 day waiting period, that would mean the entire team would be out for 
three games. weeks, and so the Nolo, and so the Nolo Contandre there. Uh, They're just, Wisconsin's not going to work. We're going to see how good this coaching <laughs> staff truly is at Wisconsin. I mean, honestly. we're yeah, we're we're, we're going to see is you know if if you know if if uh, Joe Rudolph and Paul Chris can put together an offensive game plan with. Uh, the with Danny Vandenboom and his backup. His backup is a six foot eight true freshman from the state of Iowa, Josh, um, who turned down a couple like low, uh, like uh, low mid major offers to walk on at Wisconsin. Six foot eight is that like the six foot eight? Is that gonna what? He's giant. He's is that the is that the tallest quarterback in college football this year? Oh, gotta be. It's absolutely got to be. Um, it's not but, Stetson Bennett. No, it's definitely not Stetson Bennett. Um, but my goodness. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see. Garrett Groshek, the tailback, played quarterback in high school. Jalen Franklin, who's an H-back, played quarterback in high school. They got two guys on the basketball team, Brad Davison and Demetrius Trice, both who won state titles as quarterback in high school. Um, Demetrius Trice threw out his name on Twitter today saying, hey, man, I'm ready if you need me. So... Who knows? <laughs> I've seen him brick enough shots on the hardwood. I don't know if I want. Him well, maybe passes. he's maybe he's more accurate with with a football than he is with a basketball. <laughs> Can't get more inaccurate. Uh, my point exactly. All right. Well, that is going to do it for our Big Ten wrap up here. Just reminding the listeners, we are a uh, college football show. We we will talk about the ACC eventually. It's just well, let, let's let's get into now that we've been going for over an hour. Um, well, let's finally get into the other. My 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 timer just shows up at fifty seven minutes. We're fine. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Fifty seven minutes. You're right. Well, um, <laughs> we're fine. Okay. Um, ACC. Roll, man. None of us are tired. No, not at all. <laughs> I wouldn't know anything about it. Uh, wake. Okay, in the ACC, uh, we the we week, can do this quickly. I don't think much was learned about the ACC. I don't think much was learned about any other conference this besides week. the Big Ten. Yeah, I mean, Clemson. Uh, Clemson played down to the level of a crappy opponent and still beat them by twenty six. Yep. Pitt's playing without their starting quarterback and got rolled. Yep. Uh, Miami looked okay, not great, but I mean, you know, they they still won. Mike Harley State got. Mike yeah. Mike Harley finally broke out from Miami at, at yeah. receiver. They need someone to step up at receiver. They he finally yeah. did, but they the need Tar to... Heels the Tar Heels bounced back. Louisville had an impressive win. BC's up to four and two. The one thing I learned this is the one thing I learned, and then honestly, Wake we... Forest finally finished a game. That's what I was going to say. Wake yeah. Forest three wins in a row. Uh, you know the the Campbell and Virginia win. You're like, well, okay, do it against someone. With a little bit more pedigree, well, like I said, they finished the Virginia Tech game. Um, they get awful Syracuse next. Maybe they upset North Carolina. Who knows? Then they get Duke, who's struggling. Wake is uh, a very, very pesky, pesky team. They are. You know, they. You know, I, I was impressed, even though they got, you know, even though they got beat pretty soundly against. Clemson, it, it seems like right now they're the team that's been the closest, ironically. Um, certainly wasn't Georgia Tech, but, um, yeah, the ACC is playing out like I thought it would. Yeah, the, they the are. good teams are winning. Bad teams are getting not only beat, they're getting, you know, there's a, there's a word that I want to use that's very inappropriate, but um, they're, getting, they're getting beat down. Yeah, uh, and in the words of the immortal Denny Green, they are who we thought they were. 
All right. Um, heading over then to the Big 12. Uh, one of the biggest matchups of the week was in the Big 12, so we should talk about this for a minute. Josh, Iowa State almost, almost pulled off the upset in uh, at Oklahoma State, but uh, Brees Hall, besides a magnificent performance for him, uh, could not carry the team enough because Brock Purdy did not have a banner game for himself. 19 of 34, 162 and a touchdown. And a pick. Just seemed, and a bang. Yeah, and a pick. Oh. Just seemed – he was just out of sync. Yeah, he seemed out of rhythm, and which surprised yeah. me because Oklahoma State defense is not exactly – They don't the, exactly instill a lot of fear. No, it, it really doesn't. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that's certainly something Iowa State feels like, well, we let that one get away the way they played pass defense – or pass offense, their their pass, their defense just overall um, wasn't what we've kind of come to expect from the Cyclones. And I know 24 points isn't the highest amount in the world, and they did have two takeaways. But, you know, you look at the fact that they gave up 461 yards, gave up 235 through the air, Chuba Howard had a pretty nice day with 25 carries, a buck 39 and a touchdown. Um, for that Michigan game, coach said that chunk plays are, are you know, a nuisance to say the least. They are. I mean, and Okie State had some nice chunk plays in this game. I mean, they averaged 5.8 per game, so you, you know that has to, you know, there, um, there has to be a good decent amount of chunk plays in there. Um, 80 plays is a lot to ask for any defense and they had 80 plays and scored 24 points. I think Iowa state overall, they did. Okay. I think they gave, they definitely gave their offense some chances at times and just Brock Purdy just couldn't, he just couldn't find it, man. He just could not find it. And Spencer Sanders was 20 of 29 for 235. He threw two picks, but um, again, they just, they chewed up the yards. They chewed up the clock. They gassed a they gassed a, a, a talented defense, and and that was kind of the key for them. They leaned on them, leaned on them, leaned on them, and then delivered the death blow. Chuba Hubbard, twenty five carries, one hundred thirty nine, uh, played a big big factor into that as well. Um, you know, Ohio or Ohio State, um, Oklahoma State played a fairly fairly clean game as far as turnovers go. They were, uh, or as far as fumbles go, um, turnovers not so much. They threw two picks, but. Um, penalties, you know, penalties were pretty even. Uh, so that, that, that was kind of a wash nine for 70 for Iowa state, 10 for 73 for, uh, for the Cowboys. And, uh, you know, I think they were fairly even on rushing yards, but total yards, it was, was, uh, you know, Oklahoma state had the, uh, had the upper hand. I think this was a very even matchup, you know, looking yeah. into it and, and it was, you know, a very fun game to kind of keep up with. And, and I think. I think Iowa State still has kind of a kind of a bright future, but you know, can Oklahoma State can they can they make a run? You know, that's the, the question. Can I think the other thing that has to be eating at Iowa State fans is, and particularly one player in particular, um, kicker Connor Saley missed two first half kicks. One of them a chip shot, and this is a super reliable kicker. Last year he. Uh, was one of the Big 12's best. He, he hit almost 80% of his field goals. His miss, his chip shot miss this year, it was his first ever career miss from 20 to 29 yards. I mean, th- this kid's been automatic his entire career, and it just 
you know, for a kicker, it just sucks to have a bad day at a, the office when it's a tight game, but also when it's a game where where your offense is kind of little herky jerky, a little out of rhythm, and you know, you switch those six points. Well, Iowa State's won the game, so yeah, yeah just just sucks for a Cyclone Nation. Yeah, and who yeah. knows? Maybe those six points kind of gets them kind of buys them some some time to kind of get out of their funk and, and get some things going in, in their favor. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, um, elsewhere in the conference, uh, Kansas State rolled the Jayhawks. No surprise there. 55-14. Uh, Oklahoma beat up on TCU, which seems to be going into a spiral. 33-14. to Texas bounced back against Baylor uh, to win 27-16, to and West Virginia proved they cannot win away from Morgantown, losing <laughs> in Lubbock to Texas Tech, 34-27. Anything stand out about any of those to you, Coach? No. I mean, all to be expected, TCU is slowly quitting on uh, – Yeah, they're deteriorating. Uh, Baylor is Baylor. Uh, <laughs> Joe Tessitore is probably really pleased – and um, Texas Tech is, uh, they're kind of surprising me a little bit, but again, they're still Texas Tech, so until they do anything of of, uh, of note, I, you know, they'll just kind of be a nice little Big 12 story. I'll tell you the, the one that caught my attention was Kansas State. Um, not so much that they blew out Kansas. I mean, that was to be expected, but, um, you know, when Skylar Thompson went down, couple weeks ago we're thinking oh boy the the wildcats were a team that we thought could make a little bit of noise in the big 12 and then uh will howard backup quarterback kind of you know they they sheltered him by the game plan to say the least well with kansas they're like okay (laughs) let it loose young man 17 to 24 243 yards two touchdowns you talk about a confidence boost for a new starting quarterback um They've already played Oklahoma. They don't play Iowa State and Texas until much later in the season. Um, they have Oklahoma State in two weeks, but you know you get that that new quarterback a confidence boost. And then the other thing, just the sheer inaptitude of Kansas. Uh, the Kansas State has one of the best kick returners in the country, Philip Brooks. Uh, they kicked it to him four times. He ended with 189 kick return yards, along 55 and two touchdowns as a punt returner. He's, he's one of the best in the nation. Why are you Why are you punting to him four times? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Maybe thought he'd trip up on the track. That's not there. That, that's that, 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 that's really all I got. You know, this Kansas team is they're it, a joke, man. It, it's I, I don't look, blame I don't blame Puka for quitting. It's getting dangerously close to uh what's his face. Not not Beatty, not my boy Beatty who beat can who beat Texas for me. I'm talking about Turn the old go. Notre Dame coach. I'm talking about Charlie Weiss oh, Charlie era. Weiss. It's starting to look like Charlie Weiss era. <laughs> yeah, it's not good. It's really, it's, it, you know, it, it, it's definitely not, um, was it Mark Mangino? It's definitely not the Mangino era. Oh, no. Well, so. as Mangino showed, sometimes you just got to beat the crap out of kids. <laughs> oh, good yeah. Lord. Okay. Well, Did we learn anything from the SEC other than that uh, uh, Lane Kiffin can uh, say that the officiating is terrible, have the SEC go, yep, the officiating was terrible. Oh, by the way, we're also fining you for pointing out the ineptitude of our officials. And, and him also 
Um, paying in pennies. Paying in pennies and getting the math <laughs> wrong. Uh, we, we, we learned a couple other things we learned. We learned that... Don't Jaylen bet on Waddle's, Kentucky. <laughs> Jalen Wall has ankles and they can be broken. Um, uh, South Carolina is still a fraud. Yeah. 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 Th- this is what we learned. Uh, Ole Miss got robbed and Auburn's lucky. Don't ever bet on Auburn Kentucky. might be the luckiest team in the country. <laughs> yeah. Uh, d- don't bet on Kentucky and South Carolina is still a fraud. <laughs> yeah, and we learned nothing about Alabama, Tennessee, except for the fact that uh, get healthy soon, Jalen Waddle. But of course, you know, they'll just have some other five star dude step up right behind him. I mean, they still have John Mechie. They still have Devonta Smith. Yeah. He's so. only, he only, I mean, John Mechie had a terrible game. I mean, seven catches, 151 yards. I mean, come on, man. You got to do something, man. That's, that's terrible. It, that's, that's awful. It's really funny how absolutely boring a week of SEC football can be when you don't have Georgia, you don't have Florida, you don't have uh, you don't have, you don't you don't have the Pirate <laughs> doing something crazy. <laughs> you don't have Vanderbilt losing by fifty plus. Yeah, but, match, but the exciting thing for Vanderbilt is for no the, the exciting thing about Vanderbilt is they can lose by fifty plus for like four games in a row and then. Suddenly, it's that one week, and you're like, "Huh, Vanderbilt's up by three on Alabama. Is this for real?" Yeah, and then all of a sudden they're losing by twenty four. So then, then you see the final. It's like they got beat by fifty. <laughs> you're like, "What?" So, you're, you're like, "You're like Alabama scored thirty five points in the fourth quarter. How that happened?" Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think something you're learning uh, from the from the SEC. I'll, I'll, I'll give you. Uh, since since I'm the SEC guy, um, <laughs> we we learned that, that, that Florida wait, coach do say, do wait do that. coach. What are you on the show? I'm the SEC guy. I can't tell if you're dunking on yourself, your conference, or just saying it in jest. <laughs> Can it be all um, three yes. at the same time? Um, yes, coach. To be fair, you're the Georgia guy. You have never been one of those SEC fans who blindly chance sec oh, I hate I it's hate the that. worst it's the worst. i hate that yeah no i i really i really hate that i mean yeah do i want to see sec teams do well sure why not but i'm not gonna root for them now i'm, I'm not gonna like turn into old miss super fan because they're playing <laughs> minnesota in a bowl game and you know come on pal i'm not that me- i'm not that meathead pal you know i'm not gonna i'm never gonna root for tennessee not gonna happen Never going to root for South Carolina. Definitely not going to happen. Never going to root for Florida. If I do, then I'm probably on something. See, this is why we need to flip Nebraska for Georgia. Georgia, if no. coach, if coach, if you are emblematic of all the Georgia fans, that's the Big Ten mindset. Like, I literally do not care what any other Big Ten team does. Like, if Illinois goes 12-0, and I'm going to be like, well, okay, good for their fans. But I'm not cool. gonna be like suddenly yelling, you know, big go Big Ten, ten. Big yeah, ten. Oh because, my God. because guess what? A good Alabama is a freaking nightmare in recruiting. Guess what? Guess what? Tennessee is when they're when they're when they're good, a freaking nightmare in recruiting and just where I live. All right, guess what happens when LSU is good? Freaking nightmare in recruiting. See, you, you see the theme here. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I want Auburn to lose every single effing game. Why? Because it helps our recruiting. Why? Because if they lose every single effing game, one of them is going to be to Georgia. Because we play them every year. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. So, um, 
elsewhere in the country quickly. Uh, the other big game of the week was Cincinnati and SMU. Uh, looked like it could have been a close one, especially because it was in, uh, it, it was down there in Texas. But uh, Cincinnati just took SMU to the woodshed in the second half, winning the game forty-two to thirteen. Yeah, uh, wasn't expecting that. Uh, I mean, Luke, yeah, Fick, I, uh, Josh, Luke Fickle can still coach up some defense. He can, you know, I. I and Desmond we, Ritter, and Desmond yeah. Ritter, oh boy, Desmond Ritter, through the air, on the ground, like... Ooh. Yeah, I mean, when we, when we previewed yeah, he, the he game, not. when we previewed the game, I said that Cincinnati hadn't taken on a passing offense like SMU, and, you know, Bichelle wasn't an absolute disaster, but this was not the game that he needed to have or probably expected to have. And then, since he, you know, you mentioned Ritter on the ground, as a team... 313 rushing yards and five touchdowns uh smu where was the defense you know awesome game by smu as awesome game by cincy as my radiator does the classic radiator pop in the background love it can can we do a cincinnati byu uh play-in game i'm here oh god yes please yes please um because I, I, one thing I'm excited, I, I'm not excited about is all the people here who are saying that, oh, no, you know, Notre Dame's in the playoff mix. No, they're not. No, Notre Dame is not good. No, do not let Notre Dame fool you. They are not good. What if they, hear me out, what if they just have 60 minutes where they catch lightning and somehow upset Clemson? I don't know. And I, win the I, I, ACC. I, I refuse to believe that's even a possibility. Like, Fair I, enough. I, I will you can not, reject the concept. I, I will completely reject the concept because there is no way. There, there, there is just no circumstance that I could foresee that that team beats Clemson. I mean, yeah, they beat Pitt this weekend pretty handily. Pitt had a true freshman quarterback, and it's just banged up as all hell. Like it's it's not a they're they're not a good team. I don't want to talk about them. That's why I don't even put them in the rundown half the time. So, um, other two other uh, two other uh, group of five games that were at least interesting to me. Uh, the Raging Cajuns uh, kept on their winning ways, beating UAB twenty four to twenty down in Birmingham, um, and Coastal Carolina beat Georgia Southern uh, twenty eight to fourteen at home. Uh, with uh, new quarterback Fred Payton stepping in uh, for uh, for their injured starter Elijah McClain, and all he did was go fifteen to twenty eight, two hundred fifty two yards and three touchdowns. Uh, and either of those games or any other games that we haven't touched on yet, Josh, interest you? Well, I think the Raging Cage and UAB game; those were just two really quality teams. I mean, they're and combined eight and three now. I mean, that, that was just a fun game, tight game. There was that great kick return at the end of the half. Uh, one thing that caught my eye: Appalachian State. Uh, I think we foolishly kind of ignored after their Marshall game, and then they played Campbell next. Well, they're finally back in the Sun Belt, and what they do? Well, they obliterated Arkansas State. Um, Coastal's a great story, and Coastal picked to finish dead last in the conference is the sentimental pick, and we're certainly going to be rooting for them. But as that November 21st game, App State-Coastal Carolina looms here in a few weeks, don't, don't be surprised if App State comes into that one with just the lone loss. I mean, that, that one's going to be really fun. Um, there was one kind of random game that I wanted to talk about. Uh, I had a take for... 
for some reason on central south florida tulsa um so this game had kind of a big spread on it and uh i believe that most people would have taken south florida and this is where I mean, the, it was in our it was in spread formations for us last yeah. week, and uh, Josh, you and I did take South Florida. Yeah, and uh, uh, Coach took Tulsa, though. Well, here's the thing: this is why this is why gambling is so fun and also irritating. So South Florida really <laughs> could have covered if it wasn't for uh, inexplicable um, red zone offense. So uh, first half. They have a fourth and goal. Um, then they have to settle for a chip shot field goal. So you're like, come on, punch the ball in. And then in the second half, they've got a third and goal at the Tulsa six and they fumble it, <laughs> lose possession. Uh, then later in the second half, they have a fourth and goal from the Tulsa five and they have a turnover on downs. They also missed a field goal in the second half outside of the red zone and yeah and it's you're just sort of like if south florida just had scratched out like a couple points here they would have covered and it's like come on guys killing us all right red, yeah. red zone offense not that hard finish your drives all right well that's gonna i think pretty much wrap up our week eight recap coach any final words from you yeah, South Florida's gone completely off the deep end with their uniforms. Just so you know. <laughs> They've gone know. completely off the deep end in terms of their performance on as a team. Product, yeah. All right. Well, that is, that is true. on that note, uh, our, our show has gone completely off the deep end as well. So that's going to wrap up the 229th edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. So on behalf of our own offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton, in Nashville, Tennessee, and our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook, up there in Chicago, Illinois. This is the professor in the Music City saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. SEC, 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 SEC. Paul, what are you doing, Paul? Paul, first time, long time, Paul. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.